This is Anthony Day. This is the Sustainable Futures Show. And it's August. You'd have thought that everything would have gone quiet. Aren't we all on holiday? You'd have thought Barack Obama would be keeping a low profile as his presidency winds down, but no. His latest clean power plan aims to cut carbon pollution from power stations by 32% by 2030, compared with 2005 levels, up from a previous target of 30%. The burden is going to fall principally on coal, and don't let's underestimate the power of the American coal lobby. If you've read Sustainable Energy Without the Hot Air, and I'm sure you have because I've mentioned it several times now, you'll remember that one of the main ways of cutting greenhouse gas pollution is by electrifying the transport fleet. Of course, that means even more demand for electricity. But don't worry, Americans. As we heard last week, Hillary Clinton plans to install half a billion new solar panels. Electrifying the transport fleet? Electric cars? Are they really viable? This week, I spoke to James McKeamy, Head of Customer Operations at Podpoint, and this is what he told me. I'm talking this afternoon to James McKeamy, who is Head of Customer Operations at Podpoint. And what we're going to talk about is whether electric vehicles are now viable and a, a, a sensible choice. But James, before we do that, can you tell me a bit about what you've done in the field of electric vehicles and what Podpoint, uh, what their business is? Yeah, certainly. So um, if I, I start with myself, I joined Podpoint in February 2011. And I've spent uh, four years selling charge points for, for PodPoint. I now head up our, our customer operations team, which is about product delivery. Uh, so we, we sit between the sales and the, uh, the operation and manufacturing function. Uh, PodPoint itself was formed in 2009, March 2009. And uh, we're, we have a mission really to put a charge point uh, every place where an electric vehicle will be parked for an hour or more. Um, in a nutshell, that's, that's what we're about. So you obviously expect growth in electric vehicles, because I think it says on your website uh, something about 20,000 charge points. Is that an objective, or is that already an achievement? That's about where we are. I think we've, we've shipped about 20,000 charge points at this Across point. Across the UK? Um, majority in the UK, um, a few into particularly the EU. There's one in Australia, I think. Um, and <laughs> Norway is a strong market. Really? Oh, yes, of course, because Norway has got tremendous... Um, subsidies hasn't it for electric cars uh, yes it, it's sort of the reverse of a subsidy so uh norway is the uh, a high tax environment uh, they have no real domestic uh manufacturer of uh, vehicles so uh sales tax on a new car is a hundred percent which wow. is uh, yeah painful i would suggest um so your thirty thousand pound bmw costs you sixty thousand pounds however uh, they waive that tax entirely on an electric vehicle so your thirty thousand pound electric vehicle is thirty thousand pounds so uh from day one there's been price parity or better in norway and uh i, I think there are about one in three vehicles is a is a plug-in vehicle now which is uh, fantastic yes i've heard it's tesla's biggest market is that the case I wouldn't be surprised if that's true. I think I think in sheer number, I'd still think, I imagine America is, obviously it's a larger country, but certainly in proportion, uh, very much so, I would suggest. Okay. Well, let's look first at, at personal transport, at cars. 
Anybody who's thinking about an electric car has got a number of issues. They're thinking about the cost, both the cost of charging it and the cost of buying it, the range, how far they can go before they have to charge up. Um, there's the issue about if I want to charge up my car, but normally I've only got on-street parking, what do I do? And then the, phys- the physical aspects of putting the cable on. Is it similar to a petrol um, uh, hose? Um uh, and all sorts of things. Well, let's start off with the cost. I mean, electric vehicles, electric cars, are they significantly more expensive than a, a traditional car? I think, in truth, they have been. Um, we have uh, asked the consumer to pay a premium in order to, to, to have a, a plug-in vehicle. But I think that is starting to, to go away. We're, we're, we're seeing the prices come down. And, and a large part of that is... Uh, it, is really volume. So we're now seeing them mass produced, which uh, means those costs can come down. Um, and we're seeing a couple of, you know, we've seen a couple of interesting developments. So the most popular plug-in vehicle in the UK is certainly the Mitsubishi Outlander PHEV. Um, and if you are to buy an Outlander, they essentially ask you if you want a petrol, a diesel, or a plug-in hybrid, and, and they're pretty much the same price. Um, which means they hardly sell anything but the, the plug-in variant of that because of the various incentives around it. But, but in general, we're also seeing the development of a second-hand market, which obviously is important as most people buy their cars second-hand, um, and generally a lot of offers. Um, certainly we see Nissan um, really pushing the, the leaf hard um, on, on, their, on their new car offers, which is uh, yeah, good news because I, I do think that's been the main stumbling block. We'll come on to the others. But uh, we mentioned Norway earlier. Um, on, on almost every measure, Norway is a, a, a very challenging country for electric vehicles. It's dark half the year. It's cold all the time, so people always need their heaters. It's one of the most mountainous countries in the world, and the cities are hundreds of miles apart. So really, on every measure, people should be very worried about electric vehicles. Yet they have absolutely jumped all over that. And why is it? Well, it's, it's price. Right, OK. Well, just going back to a point you said earlier... Uh, a lot of people, most people, buy their cars second-hand. Now, mm-hmm. people are going to say, oh, if it's a second-hand car, isn't it going to need a new battery? And isn't that going to be horribly expensive? Um, there are a couple of things, a couple of points to, to make about that. Uh, firstly, they give quite good guarantees on these things. So I can't remember the exact one that Nissan give. It's something like 10 years. They guarantee your usage over something in the region of 10 years. So um, I think you're... you're standard term for a, for a new vehicle tends to be sort of two to three years so i think there's a lot of viability in that on, on, on the, the the second time it, it, it's purchased um i do think totally replacing the batteries in it in the car is going to be an expensive activity um i believe it's possible to to uh, change out certain cells and, and the, the cars have quite clever management systems so if they have a cell a, a bunch of cells that is that is uh showing signs of wear and tear, they'll increase the duty cycle on that to make sure that that one goes first, etc. So there has been some thought into, into trying to counteract that problem. But uh, 10 years is pretty good usage uh, out of the vehicle, uh, I think. So it certainly supports the, uh, supports the second-hand market. Yes, well, I've been reading about hybrids, uh, a report which came out in 2006, and they said nobody's going to buy a hybrid because the batteries won't last, and it'll cost £3,500 to put a new one in. Well, I've been driving a hybrid for 10 years. Uh, I've not yet had to have a new battery, and the dealer tells me if I did, it would be about £800. Yes. So, you know, I'm I'm not too worried from that point of view. Obviously, the battery on an electric car is going to be vastly bigger, but... uh, Mm -hmm. 
that's um, maybe that will be that much more expensive. Yes, well, I think the principle is the same. You know, you, you, you've seen that much usage without much issue. Uh, essentially, I think that's what we're seeing in the market as well. I mean, we've, we've had the Leaf on sale, which was the first major electric vehicle you could buy since 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, if this was a major issue, we're now five years in and we would have people screaming about it and, and it's deathly silence on that front at the moment, which I assume is good news. Right, okay. The next issue, of course, which people are concerned about is the so-called range anxiety. Is it going to run out before I get to my uh, destination? If I have an unexpected journey, am I going to have enough power to get me to where I want to go? Now, you mentioned Norway with cities uh, hundreds of miles apart. How do they cope? Right, so, so the first thing is you know how far you, you, your car can go. So I, I think the first question implies some sort of nightmare scenario where you wake up at the wheel and you're not going to make it to France. Um, the first thing is most trips are planned. Like you said, the emergency one is, is the issue here. Um, but for the vast majority of our car use, it's simply commuting to work and home or, or to the shop and home, to the gym and home, whatever it may be. Um, and the range that we, we get out of an electric vehicle already and, and have done since you know the 2011 era cars is well and truly sufficient for the vast majority of people's usage. Um, and really, it's a question of trying it. Um, I think one of the, the things people have in their mind is that their car has infinite range um, because internally it's an internal combustion engine car because you simply drive the thing until it's almost empty and you fill it up in an enormous rate of power out of a, a, a petrol pump and, and you carry on your journey. So when someone says, well, you can't really do that anymore, you suddenly think, oh, no, hell, I'm, I, this is a real problem. It takes a little while to actually get someone to look at the way they use their vehicle and realize that Scotland and back is a very rare journey. In fact, they hardly exceed a, a 90 100-mile range at all. Now, I accept car drivers who that is not true. Um, if you are a rep and you drive 400 miles a day, I would not advise you go and buy a, a, a full battery electric. That would be a silly thing to do. Um, but for the vast majority of users, I mean, a very long commute would be something like 35 miles in a car. Well, 35 miles and back again is entirely achievable in one charge, let alone if you do what we would advise, which is to put a charge point at each end, which would really support you for those uh, surprise or, or un, un, unexpected trips. Um, and I think that brings me on to just one, one point that, that, that is often made. So we, we talk about range, um, but we also hear about charge time. And, and I think the language we use to talk about charge time uh, isn't quite right. So people tend to come to us and say, well, how long does it take to charge the car? The, the, the question implies um, from, from empty to full. Um, that's an internal combustion engine mindset question. It's the wrong question. It, um, if someone asks me that in, a, in, in a, a briefing or a meeting, and I can tell they're a skeptic, I like to give them the worst case scenario, i.e., well, real world, you get 80-ish miles out of a Nissan Leaf, and it will take you, say, 10, 12 hours from a 13-amp socket to charge it. Of course, they'll fall about the floor laughing on the basis I've told them that to go to Manchester will now be a week-long trip. Um, the, the important thing to realize is the question that I want people to ask, rather, is how much range do you get per hour plugged in? Now, that becomes a usable metric. So if we look at a, 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 the scenario of, a, of the skeptic, I like to turn around to them and say, OK, well, where's your car? And I say, well, sorry, what do you mean? I say, well, where is your car right now? And barring the fact that they might not have a car, there are usually two answers. The answer number one is, uh, well, it's at home. Answer number two, oh, it's in the car park. And I say, OK, well, how long has it been there? 
Uh, well, I guess five and a half hours. Right, okay, so from a seven kilowatt charge point, we're looking at about 29 miles of range per hour, something like that, for a, for a, a, a leaf-type vehicle. Um, so, you know, how far do you commute? Oh, I've got a long commute, I'll commute 30 miles. Okay, well, you'd have that back in just over an hour. Um, and, and I think that's the way it starts to make sense. So it's an out-of-sight, out-of-mind thing. Um, when, I, uh, when, when anyone thinks of their car, they, they think of it as a mobile object. It drives around corners. They enjoy it. They like doing that. The truth of, uh, of everyone's car is that they're stationary objects. The vast, vast majority of a car's life is spent doing nothing and sat there doing nothing. And wouldn't it be wonderful if it sat there fueling itself with incredibly inexpensive fuel? Yes? Great. You've got EV. And, and that really is what it's all about for the vast majority of you. Okay. But uh, I, like many other people, have to park on the street. Right. So um, I don't think I'm going to be allowed to run a cable out of my window across to my car. So what am I going to do about charging at home? It is tough. Um, and I think that really is one of the main constraints we have in, uh, in the industry. Um, and there's not a straightforward answer. Uh, the easiest or the, the most effective thing we can do is say, well, if you can get a charge point at work where your car's going to spend a lot of time, then, then that may give you some viability to begin with. We are trying to put charge points into the into the public realm, uh, and that's an important thing. Um, and I, I believe as, as electric vehicles become more popular, the, the availability of charge points will get greater. But you're, you're absolutely right. Off-street parking at the moment is is very important to, to, to uh, early uptake, and, and there isn't a silver bullet to make that go away. Um, I, I think if I just talk about the way PodPoint views uh, the, the way we, we, we put charge points out there, we're, we're, we're typically interested in, in what we'd call either fast or standard charge points rather than rapid charge points. Um, and we see three effective areas of where we want to target, and, and they're in uh, descending importance and descending amount of time spent there. So it's at home. Clearly, your car spends a lot of time there. You can charge overnight. Second is at work because, again, your car is likely to spend a lot of time there. And the third is at destination. Um, and a, you know, a destination could be anywhere. Um, it can be a, a shop. It can be a gym. All, all those things I, I, I talk about. But we tend to think that a, a car requires 2.1 charge points, ideally. That's a charge point at home, a charge point at work, and 10% usage of a, some form of public network. And, and that gives our, our, our sort of view on that. Now, if you can't do the home uh, element of that and, and you don't have access to, to a you know, sustainable public network to, to do this, your workplace solution probably has to be pretty good or it might not be viable for you at this time. Mm, okay. Just going back again, you mentioned something about uh, standard chargers and rapid chargers mm -hmm. and superchargers. And uh, can you just sort of uh, demystify the jargon a bit? Yeah, a little bit. So, so the way it was explained to me when I first started is standard is essentially anything you can get out of a, a stand outlet, so a 13-amp socket. Now, we tend to consider that not best practice anymore. Um, they're not made to draw currents of, say, 10 amps for, for, for 10, 12 hours. So we have seen plugs get warm to the point of, sort of melting. Um, next up, we, we talk about fast, really like anything from 16 amp up to, say, 22 kilowatt. And that's our range of pop point. That's what we're interested in. Um, so you're, again, using that metric I like, which is range per hour, that's going anywhere from about 10 to 15 miles range per hour up to 90-ish once you're 22 kilowatt, which is a three-phase uh, 32 amp. Our most popular uh, size is, is 7 kilowatt, 30 amp units, and that's yeah about 29-ish on a Nissan Leaf, about 29 miles of range. 
if you have, say, a, a Tesla, which is a magnificent car, you get a bit less range because it's a heavier car. Likewise, uh, one of the plug-in hybrids are heavier, etc. so you get a bit less range. Beyond that, we move into the realm of rapid charging. That's not really so much PogPoint's interest. And that tends to replicate the petrol pump a bit more. So uh, if you think of, say, Ecotricity, they have quite a good network in, in the uh, motorway service stations mm-hmm. out there yeah. now already. Um, they'll tend to put 20, uh, in 20 minutes, they'll put about 80% of the leaf battery in. Um, there are three Vine connectors on those at the moment, which is a bit of a complication for, for, for users, but they tend to work out which ones are for them. And then outside of that, we also have Tesla who've put in their own network early of superchargers. So if we look at the power rating, you're looking typically about 50 kilowatts of power or 43 kilowatts for those ecotricity rapid charges. A supercharger goes all the way up to 90 kilowatts, which is really, really quite powerful. It also puts a constraint on how many you can get out there. Uh, one of the frustrations of early adopters who, who love rapid chargers at the moment, there aren't that many people using them. Uh, they're free to use, etc. So they do rely on, there aren't enough of, of our style charge points out there. It, 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 they, they expect them to go everywhere. They, they, they don't understand why there isn't a charge, why there isn't a rapid charge point everywhere. Uh, firstly, they're immensely expensive. They, uh, but second is it, the sheer challenge of finding the available power to put multiple fifty kilowatt devices in. That's that's a that's a, a, a tough ask anywhere, um, and certainly that we think limits the long term viability of, of of just working with rapid chargers. We do think having a, a, a um, you know one of our, our seven kilowatt style charging anywhere you leave your car an hour is really how this industry will work effectively for the majority of its use. Okay, all right. Um, two questions then. Mm-hmm. Uh, at home you have a 13 amp socket, but can you do any better than that at home? Yeah, certainly. So um, there's now government funding, um, it has been for a while, for putting in dedicated charge points at home. Um, you can go all the way up to 22 kilowatt, but you need to have uh, three-phase power, which is relatively rare. Um, but we tend to put in either 7 kilowatt, um, which is 30 amp, or 16 amp, 3.7 kilowatt devices into people's homes. Um, we tend to recommend the 7. It gives you a little bit more flexibility. Um, and, yeah, that's a, that's a dedicated charge point that will put, you know, uh, approaching 30 miles of range into your car per hour, which is which is pretty good. Yes, okay. Now, you said that the rapid chargers are free, which sounds very nice, but Mm -hmm. if you're paying for your charge, what sort of uh, money are you paying? Yeah, sure. So um, there's a limitation on this in terms of the the battery size. So there's a nice metric. We tend to pay in in terms of kilowatt hours for our electricity. A typical rate is, say, 12, 13p. Um, I've talked a lot about Nissan Leaf. Let's talk also about, say, a Renault Zoe. That's a 22 kilowatt hour battery in a Renault Zoe. You'll never fully deplete that to naught. So uh, uh, the maximum bound of a charge event is something less than 22 kilowatt hours. And you can do a simple sum there of 12 or 13p times, say, 20. That's you know, £2.40 in terms of electricity. And that's going to get you in the region of 80, 90 miles of range. So it really is highly affordable when compared with uh, with either diesel or petrol. Right, okay. Uh, of course, they're, they're very quiet, these cars. But what about performance? Um They've got heavy batteries to drag around. I mean, are they, do they drive like uh, an ordinary car? I think they drive better than an ordinary car, if I'm honest. So uh, you're right, they are heavy cars. Um, yeah, so uh, one of the challenges of, of chassis design is overcoming the fact that an engine is a very heavy singular block of metal that you have to put somewhere in the car and then have the, the suspension account for it. 
Batteries are also very heavy, but you can splash them around the car and get very good weight distribution. So if you're talking about handling, you'll find that EVs handle incredibly well, surprisingly well. Um, so, um, moving on from, from handling, you look at performance and acceleration. Well, uh, with electric vehicles, you have maximum torque with zero revs, and that means very fast acceleration. If you look even at the, the tame end of the market, as it were, so you, you, your Leafs, your Zoe's, your, you, to some extent your i3, although that's pretty nippy, um, you're still getting a very, very impressive 0 to 40 time, um, and, and you will find you beat a lot of things off the lights. Now, the 0 to 60 times don't look so impressive because we've started to run out of uh, run out of juice, or, or at least acceleration, not juice, by the time you reach to the 50, 60 miles an hour. Now, if you will allow me, I'd like to talk about the top end of the market. So if we look at the Tesla Model S, which genuinely, is, as far as I'm concerned, is the best car that is possibly available to anyone who has the money to buy one, um, they released that as a, as a car that's sort of comparable in size to uh, a, a, jag, a large Jaguar. Yeah. Um, they released that with a, a, a series of different sizes. They, those ranges stretch up to over 300 miles on, on, on a single charge, which is very impressive. Mm. When it first came out, the most powerful one would do 0 to 60 in four and a half seconds. Now, that is Ferrari fast. That's a yeah. seriously fast car. Yeah. Um, we then had an announcement probably a year or so ago from, from good old Elon Musk saying, right, we're releasing the D, which is the P85D. So it's a dual motor. We now have motors front and back. Um, and that's now going to do 0 to 60 in 3.2 seconds, Gosh. which is as, as fast as the McLaren F1. The reason they did the D was, was to... Uh, to improve the off the uh, handling and the four uh, wheel drive means they're incredible in icy conditions, far better than say you know your Land Rover type vehicles. Um, they then all these things that have uh, software which is updated remotely, then put out a release about a month later. So well, we tweak the algorithm, so now your car will do 0 to 60 in 3.1 seconds, which is oh, and by the way, these cars will drive themselves. They've got autopilots that read road signs. You can summon it to meet you from a car park. Etc. Et they are ridiculous cars. And then about a week or two ago, he announced that they redesigned a fuse, and that's meant they can get more power out of it. So the the top of the range uh, Tesla is now the P90D. That's 90 kilowatt hours. So obviously, quite a large battery. And um, that now does not 16.2.8 seconds, okay. which is phenomenally quick. Absolutely phenomenally quick. That's sort of million pound supercar quick. Um, so. <laughs> I have to say, performance is something that we're feeling pretty confident about in the world of EV. I think we do that pretty well. Right. Um, million pound supercar. Well, how much does a Tesla like that cost? Well, I'm afraid it's a tenth of that, which is still <laughs> outside my, my range. But yeah, you're, you're, you're nudging £100,000. And yes, I have played around with their build your own Tesla feature. And my one comes in at about 98. So right. um, I, I, I dare say I haven't yet hit order. Um, <laughs> I didn't want to remortgage my house or at least deal with the wrath of my missus. Right. Uh, but yes, yes. So yes. they are expensive. However, um, for what you get, they're pretty good value. They start at the, they start at more tame end, uh, you know, in the region of £50,000. That's still a very expensive car, but you're competing with really high-end executive cars, which cost about that anyway. Yes. Um, and I really do believe the Tesla is, is, is some way ahead. I've heard a rumour that there's a more affordable compact model of the Tesla coming out next year. Is that true? I believe so. I, I think the launch dates are rather flexible in the, in right. the car industry in general. Right. Yes. Um, yeah, they yes. have both the Model X, which is a crossover SUV type vehicle, and then I think something like the Model 3. The idea of that was it will be affordable, um, mm. and that will see them really take on the likes of Nissan um, uh, and Renault and BMW as well. 
Okay. Well, all sorts of interesting stuff. But if let's look a bit wider. We've been talking about cars. What's the future for commercial vehicles as far as electricity is concerned? Well, certainly um, we're, we're seeing vans, obviously, in the market now. Uh, the Nissan e NV220, which is the ordered one today for our, for our own electricians, mm-hmm. um, which are very, very useful. Um, we're, we're based in central London. If you walk around central London, you'll see an awful lot of Kangoo electrics as well. So at the light commercial end, we're certainly there already. Um, we know TfL are putting a lot of work into looking at buses as well. So uh, mm-hmm. there's a lot of hybrid and electric bus trials going on um, throughout London. Then if we look at the lorry side of things, HGVs, I have to say, I think we've had limited progress there. Um, I think there's the, the ranges that those vehicles have to cover is, is so substantial that I'm not sure that's, that's a viable market for electric vehicles just yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I say just yet. Okay, okay. You mentioned electric buses. I'm based in York. We have 12 electric buses which run a shuttle to the uh, park and ride on the outside outskirts of the city. Um, we did have one which burst into flames a couple of weeks ago. Wow. Um, I haven't actually been able to follow up on that. I assume it was a battery problem because they're the lithium batteries rather like the ones that were in the, is it the Boeing 777? Well, and every EV out there at the moment, yes. Yes. Um, should, should we be worried? Um, well, I, I, I will have to check the history of, uh, of uh, automobiles, but I do believe one or two uh, of the vehicles that carry around explosive in the form of petrol has, has previously caught fire as well. <laughs> uh, so uh, I, I temper your worry uh, somewhat. Um, I, I, I know Tesla had a whole load of bad press when several of uh, – they had something like three fires in, in the U.S. Well, one of those ran over something that ruptured the entire undercarriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it slowly started smouldering. The guys went out and looked at it and thought, oh, we should better, we better leave this and uh, decided to walk away, call the fire brigade. They came back and by the end, yeah, it had caught fire and it mm. got any damage. Um, I think Elon Musk pointed out that the key thing here, guys, is that they got out of the car, walked around, decided that probably this was unsafe and left it. Try that with a fuel tank. Yes, yes. Well, exactly. Try rupturing the fuel tank with, with something hot with sparks around it and, and see how you get on there. So yeah. I, I think we're, we're way ahead in, in, in terms of the safety on that. And, and, uh, but, you know, not to be complacent, uh, I, I think, you know, we, we don't want any fires. <laughs> uh, well, quite, quite. True. Well, to, to be honest, as far as the bus was concerned in York, uh, the driver had a dashboard indicator. He got all the passengers off. Nobody was hurt. So, uh, yes, it doesn't go up like a, like a fuel tank. Indeed. You mentioned earlier that uh, rapid chargers are constrained by the fact that it's difficult to get enough power into individual locations to install more than one or two. But uh, even if we don't go for rapid chargers, if we go for standard chargers, the actual load on the national grid and on the whole generating infrastructure is going to be significant if we change a significant part of our uh, transport over to electricity. Yeah, I, I think mm. that's very that's that's very true. We will we will increase demand on the on the uh, on the national grid as we start to decrease our demand for petrol. And if, if you're talking long term, I think that that's absolutely right. But um, that's potentially really a good thing. You know, if we're talking about environmental benefits, we're looking to green our grid. We're moving people away from from uh, fossil fuels onto onto an ever greening grid, and we're getting you know a double win from doing that. 
Um, with, with these with these changes come opportunities as well. I mean, one of the things that I, I feel is poorly mentioned, or rarely mentioned rather, in, in the green debate on electric vehicles is how green overnight charging is. At the moment, we waste an enormous amount of electricity overnight because it is far more efficient to keep the power station running than shut it down and start it up again. Um, we're getting quite a lot of net zero, genuine net zero carbon motoring at the moment because these cars charging overnight are using electricity that would otherwise be, be wasted. And uh, you can see incentivized tariffs to encourage that sort of uh, behavior. Okay. And, of course, uh, you can charge them up to some extent from your solar panels, I suppose. Without doubt. Uh, and, again, I'm name-dropping Tesla a bit. They've just released something called the Powerwall, which is essentially yeah. an intermediary battery. So you could have your solar panels whirring away during the day, uh, topping up your battery, which powers your house and, indeed, charges your car overnight. Fantastic. Better probably in, in uh, Southern California than York, but all the same. The, the concept is the same. Um, and any micro-generation link to that is, it, you know, I think that's a, that's a really exciting, exciting project. Just a, a final question. What do you drive? Um, I'm looking to get a, a leaf as soon as I know that I can get off street parking for it. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. So yeah. that is that is the key issue, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Otherwise, uh, if I do work driving, so we do have to cover some distances uh, if we go and do uh, events, then we have a fleet of electric vehicles here. So I've, I've I have driven our i3, I've driven our, our Outlander, uh, driven our uh, Amperes that we've rented as well. So I, I use electric vehicles regularly. Well, I think we could talk for a long time. In fact, I would like to talk to you sometime about the different uh, different vehicles available. And, uh, well, for the moment, thank you very much indeed. You're very welcome. Cheers. Thank you very much for your time. And have a lovely day. Thanks, James. Thank you. Yes. Bye-bye. I was talking to James McKeamy, Head of Customer Operations at PodPoint. If you want to find out more about charging points for your electric car, go to pod-point.com. And that's it for this week. Thank you for listening, particularly if you're on holiday. If you have an idea, interest or expertise, and you'd like to be interviewed on the Sustainable Futures show, please get in touch. That's mail at anthony-day.com. This is Anthony Day. That was the Sustainable Futures show. And there'll be another one next week.